For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another brand new episode of It's My House podcast. I am, of course, as always, your host, Chris Dees. And today, I'm not the only Chris on the podcast. I have another dynamic, another well-loved, and another handsome, handsome son of a gun with me. He is, of course, interview extraordinaire. If, if you know, pick a name off the top of your head, more than likely he has he has interviewed them and done a hell of a job of doing it as well. It is Mr. Chris Van Vliet. Thank you for joining me, Chris. How are you today? I'm doing great. Always good to talk to a fellow Chris. So thank you for having me on. Absolutely. Not enough of us doing this. I don't know. Yeah. Not enough Chris's in the world. <laughs> really, man. Like I say, thank you for joining me. I know we've been trying to sort this out for, for a little while, probably a couple of months now. So I'm really, really happy that you've joined me. Um, how, how are things going over there? How are things going for you? You've had some crazy guests recently. Yeah, it's been busy. I mean, this is the, the interesting thing about doing what we do here, and, and you can completely relate to this, is you're kind of in it, right? You're in it every yeah. day and every week. And sometimes one week seems like last week. And it's only <laughs> when you're able to kind of zoom out a little bit and go, oh, wow, like I had John Cena on the show a few weeks ago, or, you know, like I just went to Chuck Liddell's house, UFC Hall of Famer. And it was like cool to be able to zoom out and appreciate those moments and like, I don't know, appreciate them for what they are. Yeah, absolutely. Like you know, those those names are crazy. I've I've had to, I've had some big names recently, like Vince Russo and Vicky Guerrero. And and at the time, I'm like, like it just it just feels normal almost. Like it's not normal. Not not for like I'm from Coventry near Birmingham in the Midlands in in England in the UK. This is not normal for for people like us to be talking to these megastars and these these top names. And and then you take a, a second, like you say afterwards, and think like, wow. I, I, I just did that. That's crazy. This is a person that's been on TV for 20, 30 years, and I've just had a chat with them, like just a normal conversation. It's it's crazy. Yeah, and the great thing about like the time that we're living in right now, like, look, don't get me wrong. There was a lot of bad things to come out of COVID, but it also even the playing field for a lot of people, right? It doesn't matter mm -hmm. if you live in England or if you live in America or if you live in Canada or wherever, like the playing field is even now. Like you can talk to somebody like Vince Russo or Vicky Guerrero. It doesn't matter. As long as you can click a button and join a, a Zoom call, the, the playing field is even. So I really appreciate that that's like now an option. Yeah, and I don't think it's, I'm, I'm really hopeful that it won't change. Obviously, things are getting back to normal a little bit more now. But because this has sort of become the new normal, I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, you, you can get back out on the road. You can go and interview these guys in their houses or, or a studio or whatever. But, but I, I'm hoping that the guests... I've almost got used to and enjoy and prefer being able to do it from the comfort of their own home, just on their mobile phone. It just, like you say, it makes it easier for everybody, it gives everybody a level playing field, sort of just puts us all on, do you know what I mean? Yeah, and I, I absolutely agree. I, and I think there's a lot of uh, celebrities that are like, yeah, don't don't come to me. I don't want to, don't fly to me. Don't drive to me. I'll just click a button and do this from my house. What I do think is going to happen, Chris, as the world starts to open up more is a lot of people, unfortunately, that started podcasts last year because they were bored 
are realizing now how much work it is to have a podcast or have a YouTube channel. And as real life is picking back up, maybe their hobby of a podcast is getting, you know, kind of thrown by the wayside. And that's what I think is going to happen. I think for all of the podcasts that were created in 2020, I think only maybe half of them are going to survive. Yeah, it's definitely been a bit tougher for me as well. Like I, I had four months off on furlough. So I was just at home, sure. nothing to do. We were already doing the podcast, but then this came a few months later. So for those four months, I was just podcast, 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 yep. constantly just putting all of my efforts into it. Went back to work sort of like a couple of months ago. And obviously things have slowed down a little bit now. Um, but I'm, I'm just trying to I'm just trying to do what I can when yeah. I can and do it as, as best as I can without it interfering in, in normal life. Yeah, well, I mean, th the important thing is you have to realize why you're podcasting, right? And I don't just mean this for you specifically. I mean, anybody who's starting a podcast. <laughs> if you're doing it just to kill the time, great, kill some time. If you're doing it because you want to like actually build up a following, be consistent with it. Put out an episode every Tuesday or every Tuesday and Thursday, whatever it happens to be. But like, as long as you're going to keep showing up, your audience will also keep showing up as well. Yeah, yeah, you want them to come back for you rather than just for the guests. Yeah, which I'm still trying to figure out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely trying to figure that out. You know, but, but it's 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 up and down. Some some episodes go great, some episodes don't go as great. But at the end of the day, like you said, as long as you're enjoying it, like the episodes that haven't maybe got as many views for me, they've still been some of my favorite favorite episodes to look back on and the the conversations and the stories that I got from those guests have yeah. made it all work, even if this ended tomorrow, you know. Yep. I've, been, I've had so much fun in the last day. I think some people are too focused on, oh, it has to make money. It has to grow huge. It has to make me a celebrity. I just, I just want to talk to people about wrestling. Yeah. And the cool yeah. thing is, you know, you aren't going to be able to get these conversations in a, you know, your regular everyday life. If you reached out to Vince Russo and said, hey, Vince Russo, do you want to go for lunch with me and talk about wrestling? He would never respond to your email, <laughs> you know. But if you write out, you know, write to him and say, do you want to be on my podcast? It's a completely different conversation. So that's kind of the cool thing about this. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, man. Um, one, one, like I've, I've watched your, your content for so long now. Like I remember... I remember all the way back to you, you went into a fight with Bobby Lashley. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's way back. Yeah, that was way, my first way, ever way wrestling back. interview. Yeah, I, man, I, I remember that. I remember all that way back. But, but what, what was it that made you want to do that? Why, was it just you wanted to be an interviewer? Was it a love for wrestling? What, what made you settle on interviewer? As, as I, I always wanted to be a TV host. Like that was my dream and my goal as a kid. Like I was so fascinated by broadcasting. So radio presenters and television presenters, like those are the people that I looked up to. And I had like a tape recorder when I was a kid and I would like record myself as the radio host that I heard on the radio. And like, that was, that was four years old at the time. That's when this like really <laughs> began. And I just kind of wanted to chase after it and figure, could I give this a shot? Could I try to be a TV host? And if I could try really, really, really hard and I failed, at least I could say that I tried. So Long story short, I went to university for communication studies. I learned, you know, a lot of the stuff behind the scenes. And while I was there, I got like a volunteer position at a radio station. I got a volunteer position at a TV station. And then this other radio station ended up giving me a job. So I just like kind of dove into this world of like figuring out how it was done in the real world. Like behind the scenes was like, that was my jam. I loved seeing how like, I loved seeing how the sausage was made. 
Like, because yeah. as a consumer, as a radio or listener or television watcher, you're just seeing the final product. It was so cool to peel back that curtain, kind of like Wizard of Oz style and see how it was really done. So yeah, I just wanted to, I wanted to be on television. That was my goal and my dream. I loved pro wrestling. And when I did start to get to work in television, I was working as an entertainment reporter and we interviewed a lot of musicians, a lot of actors, directors, comedians, and WWE was coming to town. So I asked my boss, I said, do you think we could, do you think we could interview a wrestler? And she goes, yeah, <laughs> we've done that before. I'm like, what? I'm going to get paid to talk to a wrestler. And that was the Bobby Lashley interview that you talk about. That was 2007. I was working in Vancouver, Canada at the time. And he came by the TV station. It was a really quick, you know, seven, eight minute interview that we cut down into like two and a half minutes, but that was kind of it. So as I was working in entertainment news, I had access to a lot of people and wrestlers happened to be one of the things. They fall into the, um, under the umbrella of entertainment news. And a lot yeah. of other entertainment reporters didn't really care to talk to wrestlers. They weren't wrestling fans. Well, I happened to be a wrestling fan. So every time <laughs> wrestling came to town, whether I was in Vancouver or I was in Toronto, uh, Cleveland, Miami, I've lived in a lot of places. I now live in Los Angeles. Whenever wrestling was in town, I would ask my boss, could we do an interview with so-and-so? And the answer was generally, yeah, sure. And that was when I started, that's how I started doing wrestling interviews and realizing that like, as a fan, I was asking the questions that other fans wanted to know the answer to. So I just started taking the raw version of those interviews, putting them on a YouTube channel, which man at the time had like six subscribers, but I just <laughs> wanted the videos to live somewhere so that other fans could go, oh, wow. I didn't know that the Miz felt that way about this or Dolph Ziggler felt this way about that. And that's really kind of how my YouTube channel started completely by accident. So like, obviously, obviously for me, this was always meant to be a wrestling podcast. So I went into sure. it straight away with like, I want to speak to this guy, this guy, this guy. And our, our first guest was Grado. So that was a really great start. First episode, yeah. Grado. Didn't think it would ever in a year's time get that big. And I was nervous as hell as, as a wrestling fan, getting to speak to a well-known wrestler straight away. So, but you already had that background. You already had the experience. Was it still nerve wracking for you speaking to a star as big as Lashley? I think what happened was I had been interviewing so many other like celebrities and musicians and you know, actors that when I got the chance to interview a, a wrestler, they were like, I was like this breath of fresh air for them. They're used to doing these interviews where someone's never watched wrestling like in their life. You know, like the interviews where they're like, so I see that you're the, uh, the WWE <laughs> universal champion. Like, you know, they're, they're just reading off like a script. So here I was going, not only am I a wrestling fan, not only did I train to be a wrestler, and not only do I watch every single week, like I, I'm a fan of you. And it's like, oh my gosh, like you see their eyes light up. So whether it was someone like Lashley early in my career, or I got Jack Swagger early in my career, Mr. Kennedy, Miz, uh, Jeff Hardy was an early one, Mick Foley. I think the fact that I was able to break the ice right away and go, I know you're looking to do like a local news interview, and we will, but I just want you to know I'm a fan. They're like, what, you're a fan? I'm like, yeah, like Mick Foley, I would, you know, you drop like a little nugget of information. Like I was at this match or my favorite match of yours is this. And they're like, what? Like it blows their mind because they're not used to it in that setting. So I think that it helped to bring me to the level of that they were at and realize like, oh, we're both in this together to make this the best interview possible. Yeah, was, was it as easy as literally just saying, I want to speak to this wrestler and then the, 
the studio or the, the show would literally just get in touch with them and, and invite them on. Not quite. It would usually be like, you'd find out like, uh, I'll, I'll use Cleveland as an example. Cause I lived there for five years. You would see that WWE was coming. Raw was coming to the arena there in like three months. So then you would reach out to the contact at WWE and you'd say, Hey, is anybody doing press that day? And they would say, yes, as a matter of fact, that morning, so-and-so is doing interviews and you'd go, great, put us on the list. And that would usually be how it worked. So one person would go around to all the different TV stations and all the different radio stations. So I would just get added onto that press list. Yeah, fair enough, nice and easy. There, yeah, I've done that a couple of times for like Ring of Honor and Impact. And it always, yeah, yeah. I think like, I always get people messaging me, private messaging, DM on Twitter or whatever. And like, oh, how did you get this guest? How did you get this guest? And I'm like, I just asked. I just yeah, asked the that's, question. That's the biggest thing. Because if you don't ask, the answer is always no. Yeah, and the worst, the worst answer it could ever be is no. That no one's yes. ever been rude. No yes. one's ever, you know, I might send a hundred emails in one month and maybe hear back from five of them. Yeah. But I always say to people, you just just don't let it sort of like disenchant you. Just keep trying. Just keep going, and eventually you'll build up that sort of relationship. Yeah, and you know, I always say like it's it's all about what value are you bringing for them, right? Because you are taking their time, right? You're taking half an hour, 45 minutes, an hour of their time, whatever. What's in it for them? And if you can send an email that is pitched in a way that they go, oh, well, how could I possibly say no to this? Like this is <laughs> this is stacked in my favor. That's what you want. Yeah, absolutely. Like, so I was going to ask you, you've you've kind of mentioned it there. How do you like what, what's your preparation technique? How do you prepare for a wrestler? How do you prepare for an interview? Because every wrestler is so different. I don't, I've not had any two interviews that have gone carbon copy the same as each other. What yeah. how do you do? You do loads of research. Do you get questions ready? Do you how do you go about it? I I treat every interview the same. Uh, in terms of preparation, whether they're a wrestler or they are an actor or they're an entrepreneur or whatever. And it starts with like, what is my base knowledge of this person? So like, if they're a wrestler, I'll go, I'll look, I, I will go to Wikipedia and look at their timeline. Oh, they were in Impact and then they were in Ring of Honor. Then they were in WWE and then they were back in Impact. I look at that timeline and kind of break that down. I think one of the big things I do that I don't know if a lot of people do this, I type in their name and then I click on Google News and I see, oh, what are some of the big headlines that are surrounding this person's name? Because if there's a lot of similar headlines and that person maybe hasn't commented on that yet, I'd love to be able to hear their, their comment on whatever this topic is. I also will type their name into YouTube and see what the suggested search results are. So since we mentioned Bobby Lashley, I'll type in Bobby Lashley in YouTube and then you see all the most popular search results. And I go, oh, wow. So the second search result is Brock Lesnar. Well, I should probably talk to him about Brock Lesnar if lots of people are interested in that topic. So that's kind of the basis of it. I'll, I'll watch a few matches, but I don't get like too deep in the weeds of going, okay, I need to watch absolutely everything because my interviews aren't really like time sensitive. I want to do an interview that's, especially if it's my first interview with somebody, that's all encompassing of their career and all encompassing of their life. So I, I just want to kind of with broad strokes, figure out like, all right, where did you come from? How did you get into the career you got into? But more importantly, how were you able to start crushing it? Because the guests that I want to have on my show are people that are at the very top of their game. And I know that we can take some little insights from them and apply them to our own lives. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
I think I think what I what I try to do, the most important thing for me is maybe I'll go in with one or two questions and then I like to try and take their answers and let that roll into a conversation. Because I see yeah. so many, so many podcasts where it feels so robotic. It's like question, answer, question, answer, question, answer. And it just doesn't come off friendly or natural or, or as a conversation. You know, I, I like I said before, I like stories. I like stories from from on the road and I like those to flow naturally without saying like hey bobby can you tell me a story from 2005 or anything like yeah. that you know i want him to just naturally just be like oh this happened in 2005 yeah and i think you know? the biggest thing that i do is i take the word interview out of it i think that people really get weirded out when they hear the word interview i think it's an intimidating word because they look mm -hmm. at it as like interview with a capital i and i just refer to it as a conversation you know if you and i were to go to a pub and grab a beer you wouldn't be like, okay, all right. So Chris is going to say this and then I'm going to say this, I'm <laughs> saying this, you know, you wouldn't think about it like that. You just flow, you yeah. know, and it's yeah. very rare that you're out grabbing a drink with your friends where you're looking at your watch going, oh, wow, we've been here for 25 minutes. We haven't got to any of the subjects I want to cover. No, you just talk. Yeah. You don't go there with notes. You don't go with a notepad and be like, right. Okay, right. If you this. do, I think you might be like some sort of a psychopath. <laughs> So, like talking about those those chats and those conversations, I'm sure you must get asked this all the time. But, but who have been your favorite guests, or, or just a few of your favorite guests to speak to? I mean, John Cena must be right up there. He's great, yeah. I mean, and John Cena is in the position that he's in in his career because of how kind he is to people. And man, that guy works so so hard. So yeah, he was great. I mean, I've been fortunate to interview him now four times, and they just keep getting better. He just he's kinder and kinder every single time. But, you know, narrow it down to your favorite interviews is tough because like picking your favorite kids, you know, but I, you know, I always joke. Especially that I've when you've done so many as well. I joke that I've interviewed The Rock nine times, you know, not that I'm counting. I always joke about that. But like <laughs> The Rock means a lot to me. Like I was a huge Rock fan in the Attitude Era. Like he was one of the big reasons that I became as big of a wrestling fan that I did. And the fact that The Rock now knows me by name when I walk into the room to interview him is like so mind-blowing like if i could go back <laughs> in a time machine to the 16 year old version of me and tell him yeah yeah one day the people's champ the most electrifying man in all of entertainment is gonna know your name like it'd be mind-blowing so the rock definitely is up there and he he is everything you want him to be he's kind and he's funny he's so charismatic with this energy that just fills a room and he's self-aware enough to know that this is a big moment for you like he's one of the biggest stars in the world and he wants this to be a memorable moment for you. So he turns the moment around and like maybe he cracks a joke at your expense or, you know, he just does something that makes you remember it. So Rock's definitely up there. And Will Smith is also very much like that. Oprah is very much like that. Um, Hugh Jackman is very similar to that as well. And like I said about John Cena, people are at that level for a reason. It doesn't happen by accident. Yeah, yeah. And that's why I think that's why they're at the top of everybody's list. Well, I've interviewed some great people, but obviously The Rock and Cena, Hogan, all these guys are obviously right at the top of that list. And I hope to get there one day. I hope to get there someday, maybe. You never know. Um, you've got a much better setup than me. You've got a proper microphone. You do everything very professionally. I'm in my daughter's bedroom. <laughs> and these are my pop vinyls. So one day that's maybe a, I'll look some great bed sheets, though. Yes, they are. Um, I like that. Mini Mouse, Mini Mouse bed sheet. Oh, well, really look, you nice. can get yourself a microphone. Anyone can get one of these. 
Yeah, I do it all from my phone. Oh, okay. All from my phone. It's 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 done me well enough so far. I'm hoping to, you know, step up if to the next level. This is just your phone. This looks and sounds pretty good. Yeah, people have always said that. Like I used to do it yeah. through a laptop, and I and I did have um, I had a proper camera. I had a really nice setup, and I was really proud of it. Really happy with it. And then one day it stopped working, so I just flipped over to my phone. Oh. And the guys were like, the quality is so much better on your phone. Yeah. That's technology. Technology is crazy. Well, you know, if it, if it works, don't, don't change it. Yeah, man, absolutely not. Don't fix it. <laughs> um, right. What, what, what makes me happy, happier than anything, as much as I love talking to guests about what they're doing and what they're up to, the best conversations I ever have are about actually wrestling. Like I've had a few guests on just in the, in the last couple of months who you can tell as much as they are a wrestler, they're a wrestling fan as well. So as an avid wrestling fan yourself, you've already made that very clear, man. The the passion that you speak about wrestling with is is incredible. Um, What what do you make of of what's going on right now with wrestling? Like the state of the WWE, the state of the industry, what AEW is bringing bringing to the plate? Like what's what's going on? What's going on with Raw? What, What do you think needs to change? Or what do you want to see happen throughout the rest of this year? Well, I think that we are on the cusp right now of wrestling going through a massive change. Like it's, it's been a tough year, like, and wrestling was the one constant throughout this entire, you know, pandemic, which Mm -hmm. is wild, you know, football, hockey, baseball, basketball, all shut down and wrestling did not skip a beat. And it was a, you know, it was a little bit tough at first. It was a little bit, uh, You know, it looked a little bit strange with the way that they were trying to put those shows together, but they didn't miss a beat. So we're right on the cusp of wrestling being super exciting again, regardless of what the storylines are going to be in the next few weeks, wrestling is going to look and feel like wrestling again. And I'm so excited for WWE and AEW to be back on the road, to have live television shows in front of tens of thousands of people for the first time in almost a year and a half. I think that that's going to like inject this energy into wrestling that is so sorely missing right now. I think it's tough to keep things interesting and keep the ratings up when you don't have a live audience there really helping to guide the story along. I mean, some of the best storylines in wrestling have been the ones that the fans have created. And, you know, right off the top of my head, I think about Daniel Bryan. And without the fans, Daniel Bryan never would have had the career that he had, never would have had the run that he had. And if the fans got behind him so much so, that WWE couldn't, you know, not listen to it and they had to kind of follow it. So I think that it's been, it's been a rough go. It has been a rough go. There's definitely been some really bright spots in the COVID era of wrestling, if you will. But Hurricane Helms put this best to me at the start of last year when we, uh, or start of COVID last year when we did an interview. He said, wrestling without a crowd is like a comedian getting up there without a crowd. It's like, the jokes could be hilarious. But yeah, if no one's laughing, are they funny? <laughs> you know, these matches could be great, but if there's no crowd reaction to feed off of, how great are they? Yeah. Do you do you think it'll have a genuine effect on on ratings? Like, do you think it will help Raw get back up to not where it used to be, but more where they want to be? I think it's it's really tough to look at ratings, especially when we compare it to like the Attitude Era or yeah, you know, course, any era yeah. before. Look, wrestling is TV is just different. Our TV watching habits are totally different. It used to be if you didn't watch Raw on Monday night at nine o'clock when it was on, you missed it unless you like taped it on your VCR. 
you know, now if you don't even need to watch the whole show because the most interesting things will be on your Twitter feed about four seconds later. Uh, the really, really good things will be on your Instagram feed like five minutes later and or your friend will be texting you about it. So like, it's, it's just a completely different era right now. And I don't think it's an apples to apples comparison of how ratings used to be. But I will say this, Chris, I was blown away that at the start of the pandemic that ratings didn't soar. And I'm actually like, I'm very confused yeah. about that because on a normal Monday, if it's not COVID, I don't know where you are. You might be at a birthday party. You might be out to dinner. You might be working late. You might be, you know, any number of things. When COVID started, I knew exactly where you were on Monday night at eight o'clock. You were sitting on your couch deciding not to watch wrestling. And I thought that that was really interesting. And I think it's that people turned it on and they went, that's not the wrestling that I remember. This is like a sad reminder that things are not normal in the world. And I think that people turned it off. Yeah, but it's still worth remembering that, that SmackDown have been pretty pretty consistent with their ratings, haven't they? Even even as far back as the start of COVID, it's really only been raw. I know I know they've sort of fluctuated up and down a couple of hundred thousand here and there, but it's only really raw that we've seen that massive massive drop with, isn't it? I would say that in the U.S., it's a lot easier to get Fox, which is where SmackDown is. Like anyone with an antenna has access to Fox. Like you don't have to pay money. You don't have to even have cable to have access to Fox. You can have like a $10 antenna that like hangs in your window. I would have to think that the fact that SmackDown is on network television factors into that um, versus where Raw is. Yeah. It's hard to keep up with all of that because obviously in the UK here, we, we have less options, less ways of seeing it. And it doesn't help that Raw and SmackDown both start at 1 a.m. Yeah. Well, I think that's probably why we're not factored into ratings and viewing figures because yeah, it's, like, it's so hard. Do you, guys, do you guys kind of feel like you get the short end of the stick? Because all the ratings, oh, are just, yeah. they're just referring to America. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we get the short end of the stick with everything because, um, you know, whenever, whenever the conversation comes up of, oh, will the UK ever get, SummerSlam again or will we ever get a Wrestlemania I see so many US based fans complaining about, about the time differences and I just think okay but if you were to still have it on a Sunday like normal um, so we're normally 5 or 6 hours ahead if yeah. you were to put it on a, a reasonable time for us let's say maybe 6pm, 7pm anywhere between 6 and 9pm literally anywhere in the States it's it's a great time of day you're talking like 2 p.m., 3 p.m., some states you're talking sort of like midday. So, yeah, yeah we, man, we, we really get the short end of the stick. We, you know, all these WWE shop deals for one night only, we don't even get those deals, you know. I think it, we sort of get forgotten about. I can't remember the last, but it would have been Insurrection in maybe like 2001, 2002 was the last real pay-per-view that we had over here. And yet we... Every every guest I have on, they say how much they love the UK. Yeah, how we've got the best fans in the world. Yeah, and you know when when Raw or SmackDown come here, obviously like two or three times a year in Cardiff or Manchester or London, wherever it might be for a televised show, it feels it it feels like WrestleMania. It feels like an event because it's so rare that that we get to to experience that. I don't think we'll ever get a pay per view ever again. When we're, we're just not not the mm. We're not the target market, unfortunately, in the UK. I know that when it comes to something like a SummerSlam or WrestleMania, the cities pay a lot of money to have that come in. Mm. 
This is why it keeps going to New Orleans. And by the way, New Orleans is probably the best place to have WrestleMania. You've got everything within like a few blocks right there. It's, it's so much fun. But I, I think that people are very habitual. And I think that people are really used to watching wrestling. They're used to watching pay-per-views on a Saturday or Sunday night. And we've seen it with UFC because UFC goes over to the UK all the time. And it's strange to be like turning on, you know, someone who lives in the US, it's strange to be turning on a UFC pay-per-view at like 10 in the morning on a Saturday when, you know, when that happens. And I'm like, oh yeah, like it just doesn't, it doesn't have the big fight feel anymore. And I think that that's probably, look, I think WWE understands that people are very habitual and they just go, if it ain't broke, let's not fix it. It's twice I've said that phrase now. Jeez. <laughs> the only the only time it works out well for us is if you get the um, the Australian super shows and the, the Saudi Arabia super shows. They normally start at like 9 a.m., 10 a.m. for us. And it is, you're right, it's very strange to set your alarm yeah. to, to get up and watch wrestling. It just doesn't feel right. It was yeah. great at the time, but I'm with you. there on, on a Friday morning watching wrestling, like, this is really strange. It just, yeah, it doesn't have the same feel to it, so... I completely appreciate that. Um, what speaking of SummerSlam, what what obviously we're only a couple of months away from SummerSlam now. I think less than that. Um, it's going to be on a Saturday night. It feels like it's going to be huge. Like I know that they're looking at it like it's going to be bigger than WrestleMania. What what are you hoping for? You're hoping to see The Rock, Cena, Lesnar, Becky Lynch. There's been a lot of a lot of talk, a lot of rumors. There's always rumors, but do you think yeah. there's any weight to any of them? I think Cena will be there. I I don't know if The Rock will be so. there. Although it makes sense. I mean, Las Vegas is pretty close to Los Angeles. You know, The Rock could get in his private jet and be there in like 40 minutes. So it's a <laughs> definite possibility. <clears throat> but that's a huge stadium. It's a massive stadium. It is right on the Las Vegas Strip. So I hope that they fill that thing with as many people as they possibly can. I hope that they stack this card to be the most entertaining card possible. And I hope that this is like the line in the sand that we can draw as wrestling fans where we go, all right, pre-COVID, post-COVID. And I hope that this is like the kickoff for like touring shows again, great storylines again, hopefully maybe an increase in ratings again. I don't, I don't know if that's actually going to happen, but I just hope that this like delivers on every level because look, I was at WrestleMania this year. Solid show, good show. Didn't feel like WrestleMania. Even though we were in a football stadium, you know, it was only 25,000 people there. It just didn't feel like WrestleMania. And I think being in this brand new state-of-the-art stadium in Las Vegas. And by the way, have you ever been to Las Vegas? No, been to New York. That's it. Just the just one time. Okay. You were probably really excited when you got to New York and, you know, yes. saw Times Square and everything there. It's yeah, like when you get to Vegas, it's that times like 15. Because there's just this energy in Las Vegas that everybody there is trying to have the greatest weekend of their life. So yeah. <laughs> just that, that excitement of Sin City with the excitement of finally having fans again. Plus, you know, UFC's having UFC 264, Dustin Poirier versus Conor McGregor in like two weeks, July 10th. That's yep. gonna, I feel like, set the tone like in Las Vegas for like, yes, like life is back, events are back, let's get back to normal. And then I think it's gonna get kicked into high gear with SummerSlam. Yeah, man, absolutely. <laughs> I couldn't be more excited. That's always, um, it always falls on my birthday weekend. It's the bank holiday weekend over here. So I had ahead of time booked off the Monday. Nice. Because obviously, as I say, Sunday nights, I don't want to go to work on the Monday morning because the, the pay-per-views finish at 4, sometimes 5 a.m. 
and then I'm getting up at half seven a.m. for for work. So I booked off the Monday, and then literally a few days later, the announcement came: SummerSlam's going to be on Saturday night this year. I was like, great. I just booked <laughs> off on Monday for no reason. I've used up <laughs> used up the rest of my leave. Um, so I'm just gonna, man. I'm just gonna enjoy that whole weekend. I'm so excited. I, I'm like you say, I'm so excited for the fans to come back to get the real feel of wrestling again. Um, because I've, I like many fans have become quite disenchanted and a little bit jaded with wrestling, especially over the last months. And I think what doesn't help for me is seeing all these all these releases and all of these cuts. Like I, everyone that I speak to, I like to get their opinion on the cuts. You know, different people from dis- different perspectives. Yourself working so closely and having interviewed so many wrestlers, and you you might know how it affects them. We've seen so many more wrestlers released literally just in the last few days. You know, and we saw a big chunk in April. We've seen another big chunk a couple of weeks after. How do you view releases? Do you do you think that are you on the side of they're good for the industry because there's more movement and more more guys can go elsewhere and maybe spread their WWE knowledge into other promotions? Do you think WWE shouldn't hoard as much talent as they do? Because obviously a lot of people complain about that kind of all the time. But how, how do you view the cuts? Do you think it's good? Do you think it's bad? My heart goes out to these people. Like for some of them, like Fandango, for example, it's been 15 years there or yeah. Zack Ryder, you know, 14 years there. And out of nowhere, without any warning, you're just let go. And I think it's exciting on one hand because now you've got your career in your hands. You can do whatever you want with it. You can be as big as you want and no one's holding you back. I think that's exciting. But I think it kind of, it just sucks that there's no reason why these people were released. I don't think budget cuts are actually a real reason for it. Because if, if budget cuts were the actual reason that these people were getting released, then they wouldn't be signing some new talent, you know? And it's no disrespect to the new talent they've signed. Some of those people are my friends. But it just sucks that on one hand, they're saying, sorry, all these people we've released, we don't have the money to pay you. And then, you know, talking out of the other side of their mouth, they're going, yeah, we're welcoming all these new people to NXT. And it's like, that just really sucks. And And I think a lot of the- Signing billion dollar deals as well. Right, yeah. I mean, I, I think there might be some truth to those rumors out there that WWE is stacking their finances, making them look good so they can get sold to somebody. I just can't see WWE being owned by a, a big media conglomerate. You know, if it's ABC or it's Fox or NBC or Disney or whoever, I don't know. But I will say this. Vince McMahon is far smarter than both you and I combined. Vince McMahon is the reason that you and I are even having this conversation right now. Yeah, yeah, over the last 40 years, he's built a pretty incredible business with the WWF and the WWE. So if that's the direction that they're heading in, who am I to play Monday morning quarterback and try to figure out why they're doing it? Do you think um, this is always something I, I have, not arguments with, but debates with, even with my wife, even with my friends, my colleagues, whoever it might be. So many people think that Triple H will just walk in once Vince goes or steps down or sells or, or whatever it might be. So many people think that um, Triple H is just going to walk in everything's going to be great again. Ratings are going to come back up. Wrestlers will be used properly. Nobody will get released. But, I mean, I'm sure you can agree. Once Vince does step away, for whatever reason it might be, it's going to take a while for for things to get back to normal. Because, you know, as much as we criticise Vince and the decisions he's made, the good, the bad, 
he is still the driving force behind this you know it's not even a company anymore it's it's a global empire and it's yeah. all because of him he knows what he's doing as much as we may not agree with it he knows what he's doing because he continues to make billions and billions and billions of dollars every year so you know do you think there's going to be some sort of like uncertainty shares might drop maybe and investors might lose faith once vince has gone and if they do sell let's say they sold to i don't know disney i don't i don't really know who the big forces are in in, in America, but well, let's say Disney was, is owned by ABC. So I guess that could make sense. Yeah. So, so something like that. I've, I've seen NBC. You, I think was, was one of the names. Which makes sense. I mean, the network's on Peacock. Peacock is NBC. It kind of makes yeah. sense. And they've obviously got the money because Peacock paid a billion. So, you know, it could happen, but if that was to happen, do you, do you see maybe Vince still having an input? Do you think he would be on the board or anything like that? I think he'd have to, right? I think that he would Surely. have to because who at one of these big media conglomerates is going to understand wrestling better than the man who basically created modern day pro wrestling? Like who's going to understand it? Nobody. So I would have to think that Vince would sit on some sort of advisory board or maybe it's just that we own this, you guys run it and you know, run some, run some yeah. stuff by us. Yeah. I think the, the biggest complaint that I've heard from some of my friends that are in the industry and have worked for WWE is that sure Vince is a genius, but the problem is Vince is like, it's the audience of one. So basically yeah. uh, everybody could like it, but if Vince doesn't like it, it's not happening. And then the flip side of that is people, writers, producers could come up with an idea. And if Vince thinks it's amazing, you're doing it, whether, you know, whether people like it or not. So I think that maybe that will start to shift. I would have to think that Triple H starts to take on more responsibility over the years. But I, I just can't see Vince, you know, I can't see him handing this off to somebody. I've heard, and I don't know if this is accurate, but I've heard all he watches is wrestling. Really? See, that's surprising to me. I would, I'd you, like to know how much he sleeps. I would like to know how much Vince McMahon <laughs> sleeps. Because I don't think it's much. No, when you're watching WWE, it's almost like Vince doesn't watch wrestling. You know what I mean? Like the decisions and, and the creative and ripping up the script minutes before Raw goes out, it almost feels like he... I, I certainly don't think he watches AEW. Oh, no. Well, probably not. I think he just watches a lot of WWE product. Yeah, or goes back over the years and, and watches all the stuff that, that used to be great. Yeah, but, but here's the thing. Like, everyone talks about wrestling used to be great all the time. But if you go back and watch an episode of Raw from the Attitude Era, and you watched it, like, with the same critical eye that we currently watch Raw with, I think you'd find some things in there where you would go, huh. Yeah. Like, Naked yeah. Midian was a thing, you know, during the <laughs> Attitude Era. Like, I always remind people of that. Like, Sure, the Attitude Era was great and it was fun and it was exciting and it was the Monday Night Wars. That was so awesome. But if you broke down every single show, I think you'd go, huh. And that's kind of the problem with wrestling is we have all set the bar so high that I think it might be unachievable for anybody, whether that's Ring of Honor, WWE, AEW, Impact, New Japan, whoever. I think the bar is set so high for what we think would be the best show. It's funny you say that because um, it was only a few days ago that somebody had that back and forth with me on Twitter and they were like talking about how much better the Attitude Era was and blah, 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 blah. blah. And obviously I, I grew up in the Attitude Era. It's what got me into wrestling. It was, it was my first memory of it, really. Um, but I always, I always bring up the argument of, okay, 
do you love women's wrestling? Were you a fan of the women's revolution, the women's evolution? Because of that and the Attitude Era do not go hand in hand. Yeah. They do not mix. Like, just, just think back a short 15, 20 years ago, however long ago it was. Yeah. I mean, Brown I, I, I drink out of uh, these big, like, the commemorative cups from WrestleMania that I drink out. I wish I had it. Actually, I'm going to grab it. Hold on. <laughs> I've got mine up here. So... This will this will prove my point here. This is this is what I'm drinking out of right now. WrestleMania 27. Look how many women are on this mug. Yeah. This is 10 years ago. Yeah. None. Yeah. Even mine up there. Um, SummerSlam 18 when I went to New York. Um, on the NXT one, I think there's about three. On Raw, you've got Charlotte and I think on SmackDown. Becky, oh, Alexa. Alexa Bliss is on Raw as well. Okay. So even, yeah. even there, there's only, there's not that many. But like you say, back in back in the Attitude Era, if you were buying any merchandise that was based on the women, it yeah. was probably a sexual innuendo or... It was probably a, an issue of Playboy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, like I say, those things just don't marry up together. As much as I would love to have some elements of the Attitude Era back, I, I just want the... The fun and the nonsense and the the risque stuff, but it just wouldn't cut it. It just wouldn't cut it in this day and age. Yeah, and I think work. that you know, you you've interviewed Vince Russo. I interviewed Vince Russo. He's a big reason the Attitude Era was you know as exciting yeah. as it was. He will be the first to tell you it's a television show. It is a television <laughs> show. It needs to be entertaining. And yeah. he said one of the biggest things that he never did was he never let a wrestling match go in a commercial. And if you think yeah. back, it's true. Yeah. Now, yeah. almost every match goes in a commercial. Yeah, almost every match goes into a commercial myself, a few times. Always, I was always curious, why did Raw start off with a promo? And he says, well, the reason for that was we set the tone. We said, this thing is going to happen tonight. And then we teased, this thing is going to happen tonight all throughout the two hours. This thing's going to happen. This thing's going to happen. And at the end of the show, we got the payoff. And I went, wow, that's so smart. And you don't see that a lot with Raw right now. No, no. But And when we do, it's like a 20-minute promo, a 20-minute opening segment, and you're already just like, oh, just get yeah. to the wrestling. I, you know, it's an entertainment show. I'm, I'm tuning in to be entertained, but I, I personally am entertained by seeing good wrestling. Me too. You know, but I, I want to watch a ricochet. I want to see something crazy. It was, it was the Hardy Boys that got me into wrestling as as a young guy. So I want to see that excitement again. I don't want to. I love Baron Corbin, but I don't want to tune into a twenty minute Corbin promo followed by a ten minute rest hold match. <laughs> you know, and that's I, what it's all I, uh, I, you know, it's hard to disagree. But look, we have a decision every single Monday, Wednesday. Well, actually, every day of the week now. You have a decision. <laughs> you can either watch or not watch, you know? And I think that, yeah. unfortunately, people will watch just simply for the reason that they want to complain about it. And I will say this. The glass is always both half full and half empty. There is always good. There is some good in every episode of Raw or SmackDown or Dynamite yeah. or Impact or whatever. And I think that, unfortunately, people like to complain about the things they didn't like rather than going, yeah, you know, my match was solid. Yeah, yeah because... Unfortunately, we live in a we live in a time where praising something on Twitter might get you two likes, 
complaining about something on Twitter might get you hundreds of likes and loads of people having a go at you. And, you know, it's just, it's just, yeah, it's all for attention. I, I complain about Raw, but I'm quite happy to point out the good in the show. Like the Raw wasn't great last year, but the Hurt business were incredible. Sure. Yep. You know, it's, it's about, it's about finding those bits that you enjoy and, and just having the hope that next week's going to be better. I watch every episode of WWE hoping that they are going to keep hooking me back in. Yep. I'm with you, man. This is, this is the plight of being a lifelong wrestling fan. (laughs) Right. Um, Another thing that I wanted to ask was um, I remember, I remember some, some rumors going around that you were offered a job by AEW. Now I know you, you denied, denied those rumors, but as somebody who has interviewed a million wrestlers, obviously, you know, people, within the industry, within the business. You talk to people all the time. You're an incredible interviewer, so personable. And would you ever be open to taking all of that experience and maybe go into to a promotion, whether it be WWE, AW, Impact, anywhere? Would you would you ever want to transition and go into like a backstage interviewer role? Well, so I was offered basically the opportunity to be part of the first episode of Dynamite, which was Dude, so cool. Like I was part of the first show, first wrestling show on TNT for the first time in almost 20 years. Like we played a you know tiny little minuscule part of it, but that was really cool to be part of that. But I think the thing is like, while I interview a lot of wrestlers, while I am a wrestling fan, I'm definitely a broadcaster first. And I built my entire career on being a TV host and a radio host that just happens to like wrestling and wrestling just seems to be the thing that gets, you know, the most attention online because I've been really fortunate to get a lot of great access to like some, you know, some of our favorite wrestlers. But at the end of the day, like I definitely see my career having wrestling as part of it for sure, but not just being wrestling focused. So if someone like WWE or AEW or, impact or ring of honor new japan i'm just listing them all now if they were to ask me to be part of their show i would definitely consider it i mean as a wrestling fan it's an honor to be part of the show but i just see my career being something that encompasses more than just wrestling i've acted in a few movies before that's something i would love to do again i'm hosting a show right now which is why it took us so long to you know do this interview i'm hosting a show right now which has zero to do with wrestling and i love that But I'm also very aware that people on my Twitter feed or my Instagram, certainly my YouTube subscribers, are used to seeing wrestling content. And I I feel like I have to tell people like, I'm a podcaster. I'm not a wrestling podcaster. Like, and and that is nothing against people who are wrestling podcasters. I'm just saying like, while I interview wrestlers, I'm also gonna interview people I just think are really interesting. Actors, celebrities, comedians, entrepreneurs, you know, whoever. Yeah, and that's something that, you know, even I've tried to tried to branch out a little bit, but I think I've made the mistake of being so wrestling focused straight away out of the, out of the gate that, that people weren't really interested in me talking about movies and superheroes and video games and football and things like that. So it's it's hard once you're in that niche because wrestling is so niche, yes. you know, and there's a million podcasts that want to talk about movies and is it's hard to get into something so established. Um, and I think you're right. It's great that you've got your sort of got your fingers in so many pies that you're not, you know, if wrestling just stopped tomorrow, no more wrestling, you've already got other areas you could fall back on. Um, what, what can you tell me? This is something I'm really interested in. 
what can you tell me about Andrew Yang? What was like? What was that like? Because that's obviously, you know, you've spoken to, as you said, a lot of actors and you've done acting yourself and you've spoken to wrestlers. But Andrew Yang is obviously from a very, very different background. What was it like? Yeah. Did you have to go about that differently? Talking to a politician, that must have been very different. What What was he like personally for you to speak to? Was it strange? How, how did you go about that? I mean... I look at every interview like I'm, you know, sharing some time with another person. So it was exciting that I was honored that he yeah, yeah. like even gave me that time. But so, so if we back it up here, he had said some things about Vince McMahon and yeah. I shot him a tweet and basically said, I'd love to have you on the show. Hmm. He started following me on Twitter. I started following him on Twitter and I sent him a DM and said, if you're interested, like, I'd love to have you on the show. And he wrote back and said, I'm a big fan of your work. Like email this person and we'll set it up. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I'm getting Andrew Yang on my show. So like, I, and the fact that he's a genuine wrestling fan, like he's, mm -hmm. he's a lifelong yeah. wrestling fan. So the fact that we were able to talk about, you know, some of the current issues in WWE with, you know, their verbiage with independent contractors, which I think we can all kind of look at and go, yeah, are yep. they really independent contractors? <laughs> no. Um, but then we were also able to, you know, we talked about his favorite matches and his favorite wrestlers, which was just a, such a cool thing. And yeah, really honored that he took the time to do that with me. Um, he does a lot of podcasts. He does a lot of interviews, but the fact that I was the first like wrestling interview that he did, it was a really, really cool thing. What was he just like off camera or before you started recording or after? Was he, was he just like a normal guy? Just, yeah, just a normal it was great. Super nice. Like, hey, Chris, good to see you. How's your day going? He was super nice. Yeah. In fact, I think that that's the thing we realize with a lot of people, like is they're just people, right? Um, <laughs> and, you know, at the very start of this interview, when I listed off some of my favorite interviews, the, the reason they're at the top is because they treat people well. And Andrew Yang, you know, is very kind and very personable. And I would love to have him on for an even longer interview maybe sometime later this year, if that's possible. Yeah, because I mean, like, like you say, as as a viewer, that did just come across as a very normal conversation. He didn't, he didn't, it didn't feel like you were talking to a politician. I don't know yeah. if maybe that's because in the UK, our politicians are very untrustworthy. <laughs> I think is the best word. Well, they, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure in the US, they're the same. Oh yeah, but at least in the US, they, they seem, generally speaking, they seem like nice people. They seem like, you know, you could just have a chat with them or go go to a bar with them. Somebody like um, somebody like Joe Biden just seems like a nice man, whereas our our politicians maybe not so much. They're always being caught up in scandals, and they're always there's always something going on. They're just very dodgy. Um, so I think when I when I saw that you were going to to interview Mr. Yang, I was a bit like, oh wow, I wonder if he's gonna you know interview like a politician because politicians you see them on the news or you see them in newspapers or whatever it might be and they're very guarded and they don't really give the answers that you're trying to give but he did yeah. seem very willing to talk well i think it's the fact that his background isn't as a politician you know, his background is business he's been an entrepreneur yeah. for most of his life and i think the fact that he was speaking more as a businessman than as a politician i think made that conversation go so much better yeah absolutely absolutely chris this has been an absolute pleasure. I, but before I let you go, I'm just going to ask you one more question. Just one last Please. thing. I always like to round off with people. We are wrestling fans, and it's a bit of an obvious question, but I like to ask everybody if I can. It doesn't have to be WWE 
strictly. It can be any promotion, any era. And I'm sure you've been asked before, but what's your Mount Rushmore of professional wrestling? My Mount Rushmore. Wow. So the only reason that I have an answer right off the top of my head is because I interviewed Hogan and Flair three years ago. And I thought to myself, for most people, at least that are my age, Hogan and Flair are on your Mount Rushmore. So yeah, they're on mine. It's Hogan, it's Flair. And then it gets difficult, right? Because it's (laughs) who is it after that? And I think that it's all dependent on how old you are, when you started watching, the types of matches you were into. But I'm going to go Hogan, Flair, Undertaker, just for everything that he has done in his career. And he's legendary. And then the last spot is difficult for me because it's between Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock. Mm -hmm. And I think that when you look at both of their careers, Stone Cold did more in the wrestling industry. Rock's career is relatively short. Rock's career is like an active wrestler was like seven years or eight years. So Stone Cold Steve Austin. So Hogan, Flair, Undertaker, Stone Cold Steve Austin. That's my Mount Rushmore. And your your picks are all very sort of like, this was this person's era, this person's era. They all defined a certain era, especially Hogan and Austin more than more than anyone. Um, Hogan and Flair are in mine as well, but mine mine's rounded off by John Cena, which always surprises people. But I think he has been so pivotal to the last sort of like fifteen years. Sure, yeah. I think with I think he is the modern day Hogan, as in the reach that he's had and and getting wrestling to be a bit more mainstream again, like Hogan did all those years ago. Um, and then surprisingly, Chris Jericho. I could I could definitely make an before. article or an argument for Chris Jericho. And I mean, it, it's hard to argue against the of current wrestlers right now that are active. It's hard to argue against the fact that Chris Jericho is the GOAT right now. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, look, just, and, I, and I get that, you know, there's going to be a whole bunch of Macho Man fans and Bret Hart fans yeah. that are and Shawn Michaels fans that are going, come on, Chris's. How come they're not on the <laughs> list? And I get it. Macho Man's incredible. Ultimate Warrior. Amazing. Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels. They're all good. This is, it's a personal choice and we have to only have four people. Yeah, it's so subjective. But that's wrestling, isn't it? That's wrestling just summed up. It's so subjective. It's just about being respectful of other people's opinions. And that's what we forget. We forget that so yeah. often these days, yeah. don't we? It's okay to disagree. And it's also okay to like both shows. Like people somehow yeah. seem to think that like, oh, if you like AEW, you must hate WWE and vice versa. No, it's okay to like both. Yeah, yeah. It's just tribalism. Tribalists. Yeah, People are, are naturally tribalistic. It's, it's a shame. Um, I think that's everything I've got for you today, Chris. Like I said, man, thank you so much for joining me. Um, before I let you go, where where can where can the viewers find you? Where can they find your podcast and on social media and all of that kind of stuff? Well, thank you so much for having me on, Chris. Always good to hang out with a fellow Chris. And <laughs> you can find my podcast, Insight with Chris Van Vliet, wherever you listen to podcasts. And then on social media, it's just my name, Chris Van Vliet, V-A-N-V-L-I-E-T. Awesome. And guys, as ever, you know where to find me. I'm at PWCDs on Twitter. You can find us at It's Our... No, at It's My House Pod, because obviously it changed recently. Um, Just everywhere. I'm only on YouTube at the moment. Obviously, you're here watching that anyway now, so you know that. I'm hoping to get back up on all the audio platforms soon. Chris, once again, thank you so much. Hope you enjoy the rest of your day and take care. Guys, thank you for joining me again. And likewise, take care until next time. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. 
book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.